Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless possible. They were five boys from the UK, each with a dream to make it in music. Only when Louis Tomlinson, Niall Horan, Liam Payne, Zayn Malik and Harry Styles wandered into X Factor, nobody could have predicted where they'd end up. Welcome to Scandal from Shameless Podcast, the stories of the biggest celebrity controversies revisited. Hello, hello, hello. Hi. Hi. You must be very excited about this one because truthfully, guys, to break the fourth wall... When you came to me and said, let's do a One Direction scandal series, it took some convincing to That's get okay. me all the way around because I, I've i never been a massive 1D fan, but you have been. Yeah, I don't think I was ever a 1D stan, but I was certainly a 1D fan yeah. back in the day. I also just loved trying to make sense of the dynamic between the five of them. Mm. Like there were a bunch of young boys plucked from obscurity who became like the most famous people in the world for a time. Mm. And I was always very intrigued about what that dynamic was like because I was like, there's no way these guys can get on properly. Yeah, I find that interesting now for sure. I know you're not a 1D stan. Would you call yourself a Harry Styles stan? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Because I would. Yeah, well, I did just recently get my Spotify wrapped. Yeah, Uh, and? And I think my top four or five songs for 2022 were Harry Styles. And actually, so were my mother's. And I, yeah, which means I must have infiltrated her Spotify too and told her to keep listening. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I would say I'm a Harry Styles stan. So what we have in store for you guys over the next three episodes is we've got a two-part series on One Direction, the making and breaking of One Direction, and then we'll have a one-parter on Harry Styles' breakaway from One Direction <laughs> because we cannot possibly talk about One Direction and how they ended up mm. without talking about how he exploited himself. Absolutely. Guys, this is going to be a very summary, a very fun series. We are going to trace the wild, wild success of One Direction along the way. They played over 300 shows across four sold-out world tours. They released four number one albums on the Billboard 200, had six Billboard Hot 100 top 10 hits, scored four VMAs, 2018 Choice Awards, went on SNL twice, was streamed billions of times, and were the defining musical act, I would say, of our generation so lock yourself in for a bit of a road trip podcast fest this is going to be a really exciting three-part series yeah i cannot wait to dive into this as is customary with scandals like this though we do want to say on the record we're we're doing a scandal on one direction but it it is physically impossible to cover (laughs) every single detail from every single band member so what we've done in our research for this series is pick the stuff that we really care about Mm. and we know that you will so keep that in mind as you're listening but for now we are going back to 2010 when these boys first sort of came together All right, Zara, you said it best. This story starts in late August 2010 when season seven of The X Factor premiered in the UK. Now, for those who don't know, The X Factor UK 
was an extremely popular reality singing show, particularly at this point in time as well. Essentially, people went on the show to compete against each other for a chance at a recording contract and a cash prize. The main judges were super high profile in 2010 as well. You had Simon Cowell, Louis Walsh, Cheryl Cole and Danny Minogue. I can't believe Danny Minogue was there for the birth of One Direction. I know, but I think maybe people have missed that detail because Danny was on maternity leave for part of the season yeah. as well. So she was there, but not always there. Often they had like a rotating guest fill in her seat. She feels so local and this feels so global. Yeah. I know Danny Minogue obviously has such a massive following in the UK, but I was I was surprised to read that detail. Now, during the auditions, we were introduced to 16-year-old cardigan-wearing Harry Styles from Cheshire. He was the lead singer in a high school band called White Eskimo, which had won the local Battle of the Bands competition. He also worked in a bakery on Saturdays and was planning to study law, sociology and business in college. Now, I think perhaps our favourite detail about this is he was joined by his family at the auditions with every family <laughs> member wearing a t-shirt that read we think harry has the x factor for a guy who's so cool these days this is the dorkiest origin story ever these t-shirts it fits are so though. it absolutely fits and also they weren't wrong they weren't wrong you're right the show originally showed that harry sang isn't she lovely by stevie wonder but more footage has actually since been released that shows that that wasn't harry's first choice or first performance for the judges he actually originally tried to sing hey soul sister and he did so incredibly out of tune we're going to play you a snippet of both performances now I don't know whether it's the track that's throwing you, but yeah. can I hear something just you without any music? I'll do Isn't She Lovely by Stevie Wonder. Okay, good luck. <laughs> Isn't she lovely? Isn't she wonderful? I adored having that come up in my TikTok feed recently and realising that we all have a bit of hope. We were also introduced to Liam Payne, who had previously auditioned in 2008 and made it several rounds into the final auditions at Simon Cow's house. Now, he sang Crimea River and out of all of the boys was without a doubt like the strongest singer. Simon Cowell actually gave him a standing ovation and Cheryl Cole told him, whatever it is, You've got it. <laughs> yeah, well, when you watch these episodes back, it's very clear that, uh, for the judges at least, Liam Payne was that guy who went on the show a little too young, a little underbaked in 2008, but he was ready by 2010. He was going to be like the it boy. Yes. X Factor that year. 1,000%. Now, there was also 16-year-old Niall Horan from Ireland who confidently told the show that he'd been compared to Justin Bieber a few times. <laughs> now, he was not great when he auditioned. After watching his audition, Simon Cowell said, I think you're unprepared prepared you came with the wrong song you're not as good as you thought you were but I still like you <laughs> somehow despite the judges generally agreeing that Niall didn't have much more than like a seed of talent he actually did make it through thanks to a deciding vote from guest judge Katy Perry now Katy Perry essentially agreed with everyone else said you don't have that much talent but you do have a little bit I like you and I'm gonna give you a shot yeah, and then we were briefly introduced and shown the auditions of 18-year-old Louis Tomlinson and 17-year-old Zayn Malik. They didn't get that much airtime, so we're not giving them that much airtime to intro. <laughs> now, the competition continued to a boot camp where around 200 contestants competed against each other. Now, they received vocal coaching in each group, boys, girls, over 25s and groups. Each auditioned with the same song and then were cut to 108 people. They were given dance lessons, continued to audition and singing and then were cut down to 32 acts. Yeah. Honestly, aside from maybe Liam, none of them were very good. Like definitely not good enough to stand on their own as solo artists. Dare I say, even the beloved Harry Styles. Oh, for sure. At this point, absolutely. Yeah. And clearly the judges thought this too because after the boot camp round, of auditions, none of the boys made it through to the next round, which would see them going to one of the judges' houses. Now, Harry, Liam and Niall were all shown on camera distraught. They were all crying. But then later, you see the 
five boys all pulled in together and taken on stage along with another group of four girls. Yeah, now guest judge Nicole Scherzinger announced that while they didn't make it through to the final auditions as solo acts, the judges thought they were all too talented to let go. So instead, they were going to put them through as two separate musical groups. Now, Simon told them that they would have to go and work harder than they ever had before. He said... This is a lifeline. You've got to work 10, 12, 14 hours a day, every single day, and take this opportunity. You've got a real shot here, guys. Yeah. Speaking later to Rolling Stone, Simon Cowell spoke about the decision not to put the five boys through as individual acts. He told the publication, for whatever reason, all five of them screwed up a section of that particular part of the competition. He noted as well that Harry was charismatic and had talent and said, I think we put it down to his age, etc. And that's why he did didn't go through but at the same time as we said no to them there was a part of me going we can't lose them we've got to do something with them yeah so there were these five boys who weren't good enough to stand in their own but were too good to get rid of from the show what's ironic here is i think looking back for those other male contestants who did get through who were good enough to get through to the next round on their own as solo acts probably now wish they hadn't oh, been yeah. because out of every talent that's been unearthed by x factor nothing comes close to comparing with the success that one direction found mm. another thing that's worth noting here mish is while most of the band looked pretty happy to just get through the competition and make it through to the next round, even if it meant with a band, it was clear that Liam Payne was not 100% happy with the decision. Yeah, and the reason it's worth talking about this is that Liam has since spoken about that fact. He has also made a couple of controversial comments, including that he believes he was the reason that One Direction existed. This year, Liam went on Logan Paul's podcast, Impulsive, and on that podcast, he talked about how he had auditioned for X Factor as a 14-year-old, made it to the final 24 contestants, got kicked off the show by Simon Cowell, who said he wasn't quite ready, but also that he was kind of Simon's protege yeah. in a way. Like Simon had dinner with Liam Payne and his mum when he was just a teenager. Liam also added that the future manager of One Direction, who did a lot of work around X Factor for a long time, was also at that dinner. So for a young Liam Payne, he's sitting at this dinner going, all the big wigs in the industry have taken an interest in me and they see me as this future star. Or at the very least, that's what they told me a couple of years ago. Mm. So why am I now being looped in with these others? Now, Liam claimed at that dinner that you mentioned, Mish, that Simon had apologised for letting him go from the show and said that he didn't want to let Liam go and told him to come back in two years after he got his high school education. Now, Liam said in the meantime, he spent those years singing everywhere he could and that while he had experienced real success doing this at first, by the end of the two years, he wasn't even being paid enough from these gigs to cover the cost of petrol it took to drive to the venues. Mm. So that's why he went back to X Factor at the age of 16. Yeah, Liam said that there was a part of the rejection moment, the moment when the judges said to them, you're not going through a solo act that didn't actually get Aired. And that was the part where Liam seriously considered not accepting the offer to progress through X Factor as part of the boy group. We're going to play you a snippet of what he said on the Impulsive podcast. I mean, the very first time I met them, I was, I was like, this was not aired on TV. And I don't know why I did this, but there was just something inside me that I had to just put my flag in the sand, in the sand early. But I've been doing this. This was my last chance to do what I do. And I've been doing this for a very long time now. And I've experienced all of it. And like the guys who were behind me have literally just jumped on the show and now they're going through. So I was like, can I have five minutes to decide? This was just before One Direction was made. So I went out and I called my dad. I was like, dad, I was like, this is weird. I know that I just told you I'm out, but they want to put me in a boy band. Like, what do you think about it? He said, well, you can either be 100% or nothing or one fifth of something. And I thought, hmm, very clever, Jeffrey. Very clever, Jeffrey. <laughs> now, while this moment of Liam asking to take five and to think about it never made it to air, there was a post-decision interview with one of the hosts of X Factor that kind of alluded to this. The host was talking to the five boys backstage after they'd been told they were being offered a spot as a boy band. And Liam said that he hadn't wanted to make a decision on the spot. That's why he'd wanted a moment to think about it because, and I quote, if we make the wrong decision, this could ruin each one of our careers. You know what I mean. Mm, the host replied, you can always go solo later. And then the camera actually then zoomed in on Harry who nervously laughed. It's such curious foreshadowing. It's the best. It's so wonderful to be able yeah. to have this all on tape to go back and look at those 
small coincidences mm. that happened. Now, the big controversial claim, though, that Liam Payne made on Impulsive was, of course, that One Direction was built around him. <laughs> Here's what he said. And I know you all know this already. <laughs> From what I've heard is that like part of the reason One Direction was made was because of Simon's promise to me that in two years, I'll make this work for you. So we kind of started with my face and then worked around the rest of them. I've never told that story before. I was the honorary <laughs> member of One Direction, yes. And he told me that story himself at his house. <laughs> This naturally, Mish, leads us to the conversation of how and why One Direction were actually put together. Yeah, which has been a very contentious question for many years now. There has been a lot of debate about who was actually responsible for putting these particular five guys in a boy band together. Judge Louis Walsh, who famously formed the pop group Boyzone back in the 90s, said that it was his doing. He claimed ownership over this. He said, even though Simon's going to claim he put this band together... It was my idea originally. <laughs> there was also talk that it was guest judge Nicole Scherzinger that put the band together. Yeah, but Simon later insisted to Rolling Stone that while he had asked Nicole to announce the groups, it was my idea. <laughs> yes, I'm sure we've got it on tape somewhere where I actually say, you should say it. <laughs> this is like so primary school. It's so petty. Simon <laughs> talked about his reasoning for bringing the five of them back. On what he saw in them, he said... A combination of everything. Some particular people who I didn't want to lose, Harry being one of them. The fact that the groups that year were actually pretty bad. <laughs> there was actually a gap in the market for a group like them at that particular moment. And then doing what I always do since I've run a record label, you have to rely on your gut instinct sometimes to make this decision. And I've done this many times and had a lot of success putting groups together. <laughs> when the five of them walked out on stage, I had to make the decision. Do I bring four back? Do I bring five back? And it literally took me 15 minutes to get it sorted. <laughs> Look, Simon Cowell definitely had a hand in creating and honing One Direction. And like surely some of that reasoning did come into play and did exist. But it turns out that people at X Factor did have a video showing the judges putting One Direction together and that video has since been released years after the show. And that video suggests that maybe it was Nicole Scherzinger, not Simon Cowell, that was the instigator behind putting these particular guys in a group. Yeah, and that it was the three of them, Simon, Louis and Nicole, who actually put them together mm. after that. The video shows Nicole, Louis and Simon kind of gathered around the photos of the different solo acts. Now, as the judges sorted through headshots of different male contestants to decide who would make it through to the next round, Nicole said, let's do an imaginary boy band instead of just saying no and puts Niall's photo as the first member of the group. Then Harry was added, then Louis, then Liam, then Zayn. As they're putting them together, Nicole says this. And by the way, guys, listen carefully. She's speaking in a pretty hushed tone and there's a little bit of background noise. You know what, they're just too talented to get rid of. And they've got just the right look and the right charisma on stage. I think they'll be really great in a boy band together. They're like, but they're like little stars, so you can't get rid of little stars, you know? So you put them all together. Yes, and at the end, Simon remarked, oh my God, that's the category I want because of them. Harry later said he thought he was the one who came up with the name for One Direction, but that he couldn't remember what the inspo behind the name was. He said, I suggested it and everyone was like, yeah, we like that. And then it kind of stuck and that's what it was. Yeah. Inspired. Inspired. So that's all the evidence we have. Simon wasn't the person to come up with the idea of making them a boy band. Liam wasn't the first choice that they had built the rest of the group around, nor was Liam the reason the group existed. But it is true that the judges saw something in Liam. They definitely thought he was the strongest out of the five guys. When they added Liam's photo to the growing group, they actually momentarily wavered about whether or not Liam should be in the group because he could be strong enough to be a solo act. But then Nicole comes in and says this, I don't think so. I think he would definitely shine. I think that he could be the leader. If he's the standout, he could be the leader. Simon, of all people, then adds that Liam thinks he's better than anyone else in that list. Well, Simon was not wrong. After the break, we're going to talk all about when these boys actually came together and actually started singing on the show together. But first, a word from today's sponsor.
All right, Zara. So how did these five guys with a second chance on the show become one of the biggest boy bands in history? Well, Mish, after they were told they were becoming a group, Simon said that they had about a six-week gap between that night and their first performance as a group. Now, that next performance would be in front of Simon, who was in charge of all the group acts now. He kind of got what he wanted. He wanted One Direction, (laughs) even though he said that all the other groups were bad (laughs) and would determine whether or not they would actually make it through to the top 12. Simon told Rolling Stone they had to get to know each other and they had to work on a couple of songs and they had about six weeks to do it. And they came back six weeks later and you would have thought they'd been in a band for a year or two by that point. The chemistry was incredible. Yeah, One Direction performed Natalie Imbruglia's Torn and Liam and Harry were clearly chosen as the standouts and like the lead singers of the group while Niall and Louis sang back up and Zane <laughs> came in with some like falsetto echoes. We're going to play you a snippet of this first performance for Simon Cowell because it is just everything. But I don't know her anymore. There's nothing left. I used to cry. My conversation has run dry. That's what's going on. Oh my God, I'm obsessed. Now, I have to be honest, it didn't blow me away when I went back and watched. (laughs) Simon said he thought otherwise though. He said they were really, really good and there was absolutely no doubt in my mind at that point that they were going to be chosen. Now, they got through, as we know, and they made it to the live shows during which the frontman role in the band clearly shifted from Liam to Harry. Yeah, they weren't the most talented boy band by any stretch, but perhaps they were one of the most likeable. During their time on the show, One Direction quickly built a following. They were all obviously good-looking young guys. They were really endearing. But also they were putting out these video diaries made while filming the show that showed a lot of banter and friendship between them. And I think that boyish charm really resonated with audiences. For sure. Those video diaries would see them hanging out, answering fan questions, recounting what was happening behind the scenes. And it showed that off camera they were sweet, down-to-earth, and pretty goofy at the very least. That's what fans were seeing. And fans genuinely fell in love with them. They were likable, as you said. Now, one of their later collaborators, a songwriter and producer, Savan Katecha, told Rolling Stone, they instinctively had this, and it might just be a generational thing. They just knew how to speak to their fans and they did it by being themselves. That was a unique thing about these boys. When the cameras turned on, they didn't change who they were. Mm. You can't really teach that. No. Like, I know this might sound a bit stupid given the show was called X Factor, but you cannot teach that level of X Factor or that level of charisma in front of the camera. Yeah, no, I agree. There's a certain level of comfort that they all clearly have in front of a camera that is really likable. Even when they're young and they are kind of rough diamonds that need to be polished on this show. I never watched them and thought, oh, they don't have confidence or they don't believe in themselves. Like they're very clearly at ease in front of the public. Yeah, which I don't think many people are at that age. Now, by the end of the show, they were seen performing at a pop-up concert for a screaming crowd of teen girls and being mobbed at the shops. Mm. That was pretty early on. That's just when they're on the UK show. Yeah. Despite their popularity, though, One Direction only came in third on X Factor. They were actually bedded out by the likes of winner Matt Cardle and runner-up Rebecca Ferguson. Simon later explained this to Rolling Stone. He said it was a bummer because I actually thought they were going to win because every time that they appeared on the show, the energy level was incredible. You could feel them getting more popular. But on the X Factor in the UK, there's an awful lot of women over the age of 30 who vote. And in that particular year, they voted for who they liked. And it didn't make any difference because I was going to sign them anyway. I think that's bang on. Like young women or young girls that were watching the show probably loved One Direction more than Matt Cardle's fans loved him or Rebecca Ferguson's fans loved her. 
But young teen girls don't necessarily have the money. They might be on prepaid phones. They might not be able to physically vote for the act that they love. How many followers, I've just done some digging, do you think former winner Matt Cardle (laughs) has on Instagram now? (laughs) On Instagram. I'm going to go... 27,000. Not bad. 33. What about Rebecca Ferguson, who came in second place? I'm going to go, oh, I think women, I'm going to go the same, 27,000. No, she is 89. Oh. So she's done better. But still, nothing Nothing. on One Direction. Now, as they stood on stage taking in the news of their loss, Zane reassured the crowd. He said, we're definitely going to stay together. This isn't the last of One Direction. Now, Simon put his (laughs) arms around the group and told viewers, this is just the beginning for these boys. Mm. And he was right. He was very right. Yeah. X Factor finished up at the end of 2010. And in January 2011, Simon Cowell signed the boys to his Sony Music record label imprint, Sicko Records. Simon put them in touch with the American songwriter we mentioned before, Sarvan Katecha, who helped create their debut single, What Makes You Beautiful. Now, that songwriter said he came up with that song while overhearing his wife talk about how she was feeling ugly. Katesha said, in my mind, I was just saying, no, no, you're so beautiful and you don't even know how beautiful you are. And it was like, that's just really great that she doesn't know how beautiful she is. That's probably what makes her so beautiful. And then I was like, oh, that's a good line. I love this song. But when I read that this is how it was created, I was like, oh. I don't like this song. Uh, I find this song, I remember this being everywhere on the radio. I remember them exploding with what makes you beautiful. And I found it like nails down a chalkboard. I I love this song. But is that that not the most annoying description ever? That's what makes you beautiful that you don't know it. Oh, it's so eye-rolling. As in like any woman that has any sense of her own attractiveness suddenly just becomes less attractive. Anyway. (laughs) Radio stations were reportedly inundated with calls to play What Makes You Beautiful long before it was even available. The song was finally released in September and, according to the BBC, debuted at the top spot on the UK's charts. It also achieved the highest week of sales of any musician or act that year, moving 153,000 copies within seven days. Over in the US, the single peaked at number four on the Billboard chart. Not bad at all. And that was promptly followed up on the 18th of November With One Direction's very first album, it was titled Up All Night. That album was also an unprecedented success. It went straight to number one on the UK charts and 12 other countries as well. It had global sales of more than $4.2 million. Now, in America, One Direction became the first UK pop group to debut at number one on the US album chart, selling 176,000 copies of the album in the US in the space of a week. Now, no UK act had ever done this before. One Direction achieved what the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, Coldplay, nor Mumford and Sons could achieve with their first body of work. Yeah, pretty insane levels of success really quickly. More than 10,000 people were estimated to have turned up to see One Direction's first live TV performance in the US. It was on NBC's Today Show in Rockefeller Plaza. In December, One Direction embarked on their first solo world tour, playing 54 shows internationally. A DVD of the album which was released in May 2012, sold over 1 million copies in just three months. And Sarvan Katecha said there were so many fans outside of the One Direction recording studio that the street had to be shut down. He says he saw police officers with missing persons photos combing the girls camped outside looking for the teens who had to be returned home to their parents. This is insane. It's wild just how much the fandom exploded and how much of a community it was immediately after the first album's release. I also am like most surprised how well they did in the US and Australia and stuff as well, Mm. given we had no sense of who they were because of X Factor. Yeah, so what was it? Was it, I mean, I know they were on YouTube at this time as well. I remember a lot of my friends or even my youngest sister and her friends watching them on YouTube heaps around this time. I think that really helped them cut through. Yeah, it was so unprecedented. Now we said at the start that we wouldn't be able to cover every aspect of the band or every relationship that the guys were in at this time 
namely because we'd be here forever. <laughs> but there are two significant relationships that we do want to talk about at this point in the episode. Harry's Styles' relationship with Caroline Flack and Zane's relationship with Perry Edwards. Mish, let's start with Harry's relationship with Caroline. Yeah, Caroline Flack was a TV presenter. You guys might know her from her most high-profile gig of her career, which was hosting Love Island UK. Back in 2011, when she crossed paths with Harry, though, she was mostly known at the time for presenting I'm a Celebrity get me out of here now now that was a chat show that would air after i'm a celebrity uk she was also known for hosting an additional show on top of the x factor so she hosted the extra factor which was like an (laughs) online web series yeah exactly now what was so controversial about this relationship in particular was that caroline was 32 and harry was 17 Rumours emerged in October 2011 that the two of them were dating after they were spotted kissing at an X Factor party and then seen outgoing on a number of dates. Caroline later said that she knew he had a crush on her because he'd said it in magazines and said it to friends. Yeah. In December, Caroline Flack confirmed the relationship and spoke out against criticism of the 15-year age gap. She told Now Magazine, I feel like I shouldn't have to worry about what I do, but it's a social thing that people aren't accepting of big age gaps. Now, obviously, we need to address the elephant in the room. An age gap is one thing. Dating a 17-year-old when you are 32 is another. I think maybe there was a lack of honesty or maybe a lack of going there when talking about this relationship. A 15-year-old age gap is not the same as dating a teenager. Yeah, absolutely. Now, she also spoke about the huge backlash she faced from One Direction fans who warned her to stay away from Harry. According to some reports, she had even received death threats. I also think the other thing that we have to acknowledge here, of course, is that Caroline Flack did die by suicide Mm. a number of years ago, citing trolling as well. It Mm. was an incredibly layered, incredibly sad and incredibly complicated story. But this was one instance where she says, yes, she was trolled and did receive death threats for dating him. Mm. She said at the time, I keep thinking, what have I done wrong? But I haven't done anything wrong. What's hard for me to get my head around is people saying it's disgusting. I don't think it is. Around that time, tabloids reported that Harry Styles was seen leaving Caroline's house after spending the night. The Sun wrote that Harry had arrived at her house at 10pm, complete with an overnight bag, and left the next morning looking tired and sporting bedhead hair. Caroline later said that this was the moment the relationship fell apart. Speaking to The Sun, she said, It was only when it became public knowledge that things turned sour. At the beginning, it was all very playful. He joked about being attracted to older women. It began to go wrong when he was pictured coming out of my house one morning. And that was that. People started shouting pedophile at me in the street and pervert. The relationship was short-lived in January 2012, ahead of One Direction heading to the US on tour. Harry confirmed that he and Caroline had broken up. He tweeted, Please know that I didn't dump Caroline. This was a mutual decision. She is one of the kindest, sweetest people I know. Please respect that. Now, while Harry and Caroline didn't last long, it was the start of a series of relationships that Harry did have with older women. In early 2012, he reportedly went on to date radio host Lucy Horobin, who was 15 years older than him and married at the time. She and her husband later split and her husband told the Mirror that he blamed Harry 100% (laughs) for this. Realising my wife had decided to leave me because she'd fallen for a 17-year-old boy, that's the most embarrassing thing. I had no idea about this story and how high profile it was and publicised it was in the UK. Like Lucy Horobin was a well-known radio host at the time. I had no idea. And also how 10 years later, the same thing kind of happened. Oh my God. With Olivia Wilde. There is a pattern when it comes to Harry Styles dating life, for sure. Now, Harry was also believed to have dated Taylor Swift around this time, who was five years older than him. He also dated Kimberly Stewart, who is 15 years older than him, and reportedly also hooked up with X Factor judge Nicole Scherzinger, at some point in time, and we know that she's 16 years older than him. Yeah, we do have to note that the last one in particular was just a report. We never got any confirmation, but it was a rumour that floated around. So that's Harry, right? The other relationship we need and want to talk about in this series is one between Zayn Malik and Perry Edwards because it played out for a long time and (laughs) played out very publicly 
around the time the band split, but that's just a spoiler alert. <laughs> now, Perry had a, a very similar career start to Zayn. She auditioned for X Factor the year after Zayn in 2011, but did not make it through the boot camp challenge as a solo contestant. Instead, she was placed in a four-part group called Fauxpas. Now, that's a terrible name for well, a just, group. just wait. The judges also formed another group called Orion. That sounds like a tech company. Neither of these groups progressed. Maybe because one of them was called faux pas and it was a faux pas. <laughs> and so the judges took half of faux pas and half of Orion and made a whole new group. They were later called Rhythmics, which is also a shit name. <laughs> so bad. Who were later renamed Little Mix after a charity with the same name threatened legal action. <laughs> Little Mix progressed through the competition. They actually ended up winning the X Factor in 2011. And that's how Perry met Zayn. It was through the show on an episode where One Direction came back on to perform. By December, the Daily Mail was reporting that the 18-year-olds were an item. They described it, and I quote, as a match made in X-Factor heaven. In May the following year, Perry and Zayn were photographed kissing in public and riding a scooter through the street. One newspaper ran with the headline, What makes you scooter for? <laughs> <laughs> Why did I read that out? Why was that in our nose? I fucking love it. <laughs> now, the relationship swiftly progressed from there. They appeared to adopt a puppy at the end of 2012. They moved in together the following Feb in 2013. Later that year, he got his infamous tattoo of Perry on his bicep. Mm. And then in August 2013, Perry and Zane, who were both 20 at the time, walked the red carpet together at One Direction's This Is Us premiere in London. Perry was seen wearing an engagement ring. Now, the next day, Perry's mom confirmed the engagement in an interview with Real Radio Northeast's Gary and Lisa show. <laughs> Who the fuck is that? Why would it be confirmed like this? Telling them it's true. They got engaged on Sunday and it was absolutely lovely. And, you know, I feel it's wonderful because Zane's absolutely gorgeous and Perry loves him to pieces and it is just perfect. They get on so well together and they understand each other. It's just fabulous. Now, Perry's mum also said that Zane had asked them for their blessing before proposing. So young to get engaged sure. at 20. But no one was in any doubt when it came to how much these two loved each other. When Little Mix were asked on Capital FM what they thought of Zane Malik, band member Jesse Nelson replied, he's absolutely smitten with Perry. Like he loves her to pieces. I've never seen a boy love a girl as much as he loves her. Oh, God. No wonder <laughs> things were so dramatic when they broke up, if that's what the public were being told. That oh, these two loved, perfect. loved each other more than anyone had ever loved each other. Yes. Now, meanwhile, One Direction had been going from strength to strength. Their 2013 album, Midnight Memories, was a particular hit. It became the world's biggest selling album in 2013. That's insane. Mm. Also, they were just pumping up music. They would have been exhausted. Yeah. By that point in time, their fandom was so strong and so intense that even the slightest of criticism about the band could result in downright outrage online. Yeah. Take, for instance, Jonathan Heath's not-so-glowing GQ profile of the band, which was published in July 2013 and resulted in a slew of death threats. Yeah. Now, look, we need to be fair to the 1D stands who were upset about this article. This article was a little snarky at yes. times, for sure. That said, it wasn't necessarily downright awful Either. I think some of the biggest crimes in this piece by Jonathan Heath is that he does things like refer to the bandmates as St. Harry, St. Zane, St. Niall, St. Louis and St. Liam. He also suggests that the boys' publicity managers need to relinquish a little or a lot of control and let the band speak to the media and actually stand on their own two feet. He also implies that the band is yet to have a historically memorable single. <laughs> Essentially, if you read this... It's very clear that Jonathan Heath's contention is that One Direction is a lot of fuzzy marketing spin. Is there any actual good music coming out of them? Not yet. I disagree. Now, I think there was lots of great music, but that's just me. <laughs> now, then there was a back and forth with Harry that did make fans ropeable online. And truthfully, I think this was quite fair in terms of the backlash. First of all, Jonathan Heath asked Harry point blank if he was romantically involved with British radio presenter Nick Grimshaw, which Harry denied. Jonathan then asked Harry if he was bisexual, to which he replied, bisexual? Me? I don't think so. I'm pretty sure I'm not. Later on, Harry was quizzed about how many people he slept with, which fans despised. 
Oh, I thought this was a pretty inappropriate line of questioning mm. for a journo to basically someone who's still a young kid. Mm. And also I think when you read the back and forth, Jonathan Heath was like a dog at a bone. Yes, I agree with that. I think it's a it's a really interesting one because other bands historically, when they're trying to go for the rock boy persona, have made sex a central part of that. And in other parts of the interview, the boys volunteered, not Harry, but other boys volunteered this kind of chat about sleeping with people or having people on the bus or kind of living that party boy lifestyle. I understand Jonathan Heath going there and asking it. I think he went too far by persistently going after this line of questioning. Absolutely. Now, to be clear, this outrage wasn't something that existed on small corners of the internet. The backlash from One Directioners was so intense that it made news. The next day, the Daily Mail published this. One Direction fans unleashed torrent of online abuse directed at GQ magazine after boy band opened up in revealing new interview. Now... Another element of the GQ profile that just piqued our interest but didn't really get much attention at the time was something that Niall Horan said. Part of the profile is a Q&A back and forth with the band, so we will read the excerpt to you word for word. Michelle, kick us off with GQ's question. Do you want to... <laughs> Am I playing a role? I don't know. I was going to say there's too many people there's here. There's too many people yeah. going on. I'll start. GQ said, groupies and booze, what are your tour bus rules? Niall said... We haven't been on the road long enough yet. Ask me in a few months' time. All last year, we were touring in America, so we were all underage, so we couldn't really party then anyway. Liam said, Groupies, we don't have time to party. I'm not even single. This sort of talk will get me in trouble. Niall said, We go back on the road straight after a show and we're gone. I wish we did have time for girls and parties, but we don't. Niall's a little haunted. I know. <laughs> Liam said, Maybe we need someone to schedule that in for us. <laughs> Niall then said, I'll say one thing, Ellie Goulding, wow, she's absolutely amazing looking. I met her at the Brits. Liam said, put it right out there, Niall. Niall said, well, you've got to, haven't you? I mean, she has a boyfriend, but what the hell? Now, I think this demands a quick sidebar, right? Because it's clear in this piece that Niall had a thing for Ellie Goulding. And in 2013, Niall wasn't wrong. She did have a boyfriend. His name was Ed Sheeran, or is Ed Sheeran. <laughs> yeah. And this little exchange kind of undid us a little bit because of rumours are to be believed about this time. There was quite a love triangle between these three musicians that inspired Ed Sheeran's song, Don't. Yeah, we're going to lay out the timeline for you because it is a fascinating one. So as we said, that GQ profile dates to July, okay? That article comes out in July where Niall is professing that he has a crush on Ellie Goulding. The next month, in August 2013, Ed Sheeran and Ellie Goulding hold hands at the MTV Music Awards. We know that something happened almost immediately after that awards night because all of a sudden they stopped being seen together. In 2015, Ed Sheeran released one of his biggest singles ever, the one that Zara just mentioned, Don't. Here are some of the key lyrics in that song. But me and her, we make money the same way. Four cities, two planes the same day. Later in the song, he writes, tap, tap, tap on my hotel door. I don't even know if she knows what for. She was crying on my shoulder. I already told you. Trust and respect is what we do this for. I never intended to be next, you bastard. But you didn't need to take him to bed, that's all. And I never saw him as a threat, you bastard, until you disappeared with him to have sex, of course. It's not like we were both on tour. We were staying on the same fucking hotel floor. Now, Ed Sheeran has told people that Don't was about a real-life relationship experience that he'd had, which meant that very quickly Don't was connected to Ellie Goulding and Niall, of course. Like, me and her were in the same industry. It's got to be pointing to her. And then people started looking at Niall. Mm. Now, perhaps some mused that something happened the night of the MTV Video Music Awards where all three musicians found themselves in the same room. Mm. I I just love the story. <laughs> I, I don't, love it. I don't know necessarily. I've just always assumed that that story was true about Niall and Ellie because it was so widespread when mm. the song came out. And Ed Sheeran did little to dispel rumours because he was saying it was about a real life experience and it's right? clearly about a guy who is in a similar industry to him i never saw him as a threat like Which says younger guy why would you yeah why would you see someone as a threat because there may be competition for you they're in a similar space to you you know you know them you or know, know them, them already yeah it's so interesting now i think when it came to this gq profile as well there was another line that i found fascinating and it was this one 
Harry Styles is also the only band member you feel has the natural charisma to go it alone with a solo career. For magnetism, he can't be matched. Yeah, I mean, Jonathan Heath clearly knew something when he wrote that piece because he was absolutely right. According to Reuters, by the end of 2013, the band had amassed more than 16 million followers on Twitter and a further 22 million fans on Facebook. Throughout 2014, they toured stadiums around the world, some of the biggest shows they'd ever played, and worked on their fourth album, Four, which included songs (laughs) like Night Changes and Steal My Girl. The album debuted at number one in 18 countries, making One Direction the first band to have each of their first four studio albums debut at number one. That year, The Guardian's Tom Lamont wrote a really fascinating profile on the boys. It's titled One Direction. It's not a question of burnout. We enjoy it. And I think the journalist, as a self-confessed non-fan of the band, was one of the first people to see perhaps what nobody else did, Mish, that cracks were starting to form between the boys. The opening of this piece is very intriguing. We're going to read it to you because, and it's long, but probably worth it. You guys can be the judge. Tell us if it's worth it. Not long ago, I travelled to Mountain Zone America on a short trip to interview a singer for which I was picked up in a car laid on by one of the big record labels. The driver noted my British accent and said, you like One Direction? Sure, I told the driver. One Direction are fine. He said that the band had flown into town a week ago and that he'd driven one of the boys to his hotel. About a 15-minute journey. I'm not cold to the appeal of a well-steered pop group, but with One Direction, I'd not felt that snap that occurs when an artist or band suddenly catches your interest, snaring you with an infectious vocal and novel look, ideally an undeniably superb song. There was something about the coy way the driver spoke, though, that made me wake up a bit. You only drove one of them? Where were the others? I said. In different cars, the driver said. For a 15-minute drive? Five members, five cars. And right there, One Direction became intriguing. I'm obsessed. I love it. I'm obsessed with that opener. Now, this piece spoke about the extreme commercialization of One Direction. There were albums, of course, but the band was also making money from toothpaste, perfumes, pajamas, and Halloween costumes. If there was a way to make money off of One Direction, Simon Cowell was actively pursuing it. Now, at the time of this piece being published, each band member was thought to be worth about 16 million pounds each. Yeah, it's also interesting to read because the band clearly had it drilled into them by management that the fans are to be referred to like God. Like at every point in the interview, (laughs) redirect the conversation back to the fans. So here's how Tom Lamont very, I think, comedically writes about their instinct to constantly talk about the fans. What motivates this band? Giving back to the fans. What do they make of their every utterance being second-guessed by those fans? That's just part of their fandom. From here on, I will redact all mention of fans and of those fans being great. Just assume that One Direction knows it has fans and knows its fans to be supportive because their every other thought is sunk under the weight of acknowledging this. When I asked about the emotional burden of their work, all those complex infatuations they can't possibly reciprocate, the boys say it's not a burden but a privilege. Zane, if it wasn't for redacted, we wouldn't be where we are. Liam, we just like to think about redacted. Harry, redacted. <laughs> The journalist Tom Lamont, someone who had interviewed a range of high-profile musicians in his career, was mostly concerned with one question when it came to interviewing One Direction. How was their pace of writing, recording, releasing and promoting new music manageable in the long run? He asked them directly, how long can you maintain this pace before you melt? To which he transcribed this. Liam, leather-jacketed, says... Um, it's an often asked question, but I think we're feeling pretty good. We've just had a couple of days off, actually. Louie, in a Bruce Springsteen t-shirt, corrects him. A couple of weeks off. Liam, couple of weeks off. Yeah, couple of weeks. So we've been chilling, but we're all pretty hardworking. We just enjoy it more than anything. It's not a question of burnout. But Tom Lamont kept pressing the point. He clearly didn't believe them. He even brought along a biography about Robbie Williams called Feel, and that biography heavily explores the trials of being in the biggest British boy band of the 90s. Take that. Tom Lamont actually read aloud passages that gripped him the most in that book to the boys, particularly how the insane workload and the insane fame and money and pressure that comes in being a boy band 
left Robbie Williams feeling tired and scared after a few years. Yeah, Tom then wrote, the time is coming, it must be, when this unnaturally contained pack of males won't be able to go on in each other's company. The songs will chafe, as will the schedule. One Direction will split because boy bands do, at which point the hierarchy, in terms of an individual's charisma, musicianship, credibility and cool, is all that will matter. Have they made any sort of pact that if one member wants to leave, the band folds? I mean, despite Tom's pretty intense line of questioning and pretty fair line of questioning in 2015, despite even murmurings of burnout, One Direction embarked on their On The Road Again tour, their fourth headlining concert tour and second all-out stadium tour. Kind of ironic that the tour name was On The Road Again, like... This Even is their the fourth name. tour in about five years. It's insane. In March 2015, in the middle of that On The Road Again tour, One Direction's publicist tweeted that Zayn Malik was leaving the tour due to stress and flying back to the United Kingdom to recuperate. Less than a week later, on March 25, One Direction announced on Facebook that Zayn Malik had decided to leave the band. A few months later, in August 2015, news came out that Zayn had also broken up with his fiance Perry Edwards. So what happened? What led Zayn to leaving the band? How was Perry involved in that decision, if at all? And how did everyone actually manage to move on? All of that, Mish, will be on the next episode of Scandal. What a rollicking ride. Guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode. We cannot wait to put up all of the fun videos and photos on our Instagram and on our TikTok, actually. There is so much content when it comes to One Direction. So follow us over on those social channels to check all of that out. Yeah, guys, we will be back next Monday for part two of this series. Let's talk about the breaking of One Direction. Yeah, let's do it. A big thank you as well to researcher Justine Landis-Hanley for preparing this one alongside us. Have a good week, guys. We'll be back in your ears soon. Bye. Shameless Media. This podcast was recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through it is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse, if you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.